Welcome to a podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Our academy is a national organization committed to excellence in orthopedic manual physical therapy practice, education, and research. And we're here to explore a wide range of topics with you through interviews with content experts. Hello, AMP listeners. Antigone Vesey here, and joining me today is Dr. Tony Varela. Thank you for having me, Antigone. I first interviewed Tony on episode 113, and we had a great discussion about his recent paper, The Theater of Depression. So I would highly encourage our listeners to call back to that episode. It was so fun that we mutually agreed he'd be a great fit to be an interviewer on the podcast. So I wanted to take a couple minutes to introduce him. Before I do, though, I also wanted to publicly announce that I am the new lead of the AOMP podcast and hoping to continue the great work of Stephen Schaefer. He will continue to be an interviewer for us, along with our awesome core group of Kevin McPherson and Liana Blanchard. We are also going to start introducing, and some episodes have already dropped already, from the AOMP SIGs to do interviews within their specialty because we want to represent the voice of AOMP and, and all the wonderful people that are a part of the organization. And we'll also continue to have Skip Gill from the FOMT, the Foundation of Manual Therapy, who will be doing quarterly episodes as well. I am always open to feedback and really interesting conversations with the listeners. So if you'd like to reach out to myself or anyone on the team, you can always email us at ampedpodcast at gmail.com. With that being said, let me turn it over to Tony to tell us a little bit about himself and also what got you excited to be a part of our podcast team. Thanks again, Antigone. I've been a physical therapist for over 20 years and an AOMP member for uh, 20 years now. And the span of my career has included academic endeavors and clinical endeavors. And I've always been proud to be a part of the AOMP team as a way to organize my clinical thinking and my reasoning skills. And as a part of that, being invited onto the show, I became excited to know that I could contribute further in a meaningful way. I love to have discussions and interviews with individuals who are contributing in unique ways. So having the opportunity to be able to do that was one that took very little consideration, uh, knowing that it was a meaningful way to contribute. Really grateful to have you a part of our team, and I'm very excited for our listeners to hear your first episode. How did that recording go, and, and what did you kind of learn from it? I had a little bit of nervousness going into the first one, but it turned out to be a great conversation that offered um, highlights and challenges of taking care of the underserved. And it's very unique perspectives in overall clinical reasoning, clinical management, turned out to be a phenomenal conversation, I think, with Lindsay Roper, who I interviewed. Yeah, those first couple episodes are definitely nerve-wracking, and I commend you on being brave and being a part of something like this, because it's definitely not easy to put yourself out there publicly as you struggle to kind of learn a new craft. I think you sounded awesome, and I'm excited to kick it off. So without further ado, let's get to your first episode. Thank you again, Tony, for being on our team. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Today, I'm happy to be interviewing Lindsay Roper, a physical therapist that graduated from Regis University in 2007. 
She started her career in rural North California, working with her husband in a private practice setting for the first 10 years of her career. She and her husband relocated to Utah in 2016, where she started working at the Sacred Circle Healthcare in 2017 as the Director of Physical Therapy. She grew the department from the ground up, and she developed their own interdisciplinary program. She's now the director of this program, where she works with a team of physical therapists and medical providers. Lindsay developed and runs the educational class that is geared towards teaching people about pain. After taking over the pain program at Sacred Circle, her caseload immediately filled with chronic pain and trauma. Her patient population includes challenges with social determinants of health, including homelessness, very low income, food insecurities, poor social support, and social health. This led her to Adrian Lowe and the Pain Neuroscience Education. She completed the Therapeutic Pain Certification in 2019 and the Pain Science Fellowship in 2021. This education shaped her continuously growing role in the clinic. She considers herself a cheerleader for the interdisciplinary care and for the model that Sacred Circle represents. These experiences shifted her approach to the idea that a physical therapist becomes a part of the patient's care team without a discharge plan. Lindsay now spearheads the Utah Pain Summit, where she invites multidisciplinary healthcare professionals to share the latest research and innovations. She just celebrated the completion of the first annual Utah Pain Summit and has already started planning for next year. I plan on talking with her about her role as the director of an interdisciplinary program and the unique approach that Sacred Circle has embraced. Lindsay and I met at the Utah Pain Summit, where she presented her lecture on the foundations of caring for pain. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Me too. I know we've had some great conversations in the past, and uh, now I'm looking forward to this conversation. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and expand on the introduction that's already been provided, specifically where you work? Absolutely. So I work in a tribally owned clinic in downtown Salt Lake called Sacred Circle Healthcare, and we're owned by the Goshu Tribe here in uh, Utah. It's also a Medicaid clinic. So basically, we serve the Medicaid population and also any tribal member of not just our own, but also um, any tribe across the U.S. can come in and basically get care for free here. So we serve a population that we would consider to be underserved and lots of chronic health conditions, lots of social determinants of health as part of our population. And really on top of that, see a lot of chronic pain, which is where my kind of passion has come to play since I started working here. And then the other uniqueness here is that we have lots of disciplines under one roof. This allows our our tribal members or any tribal members to get a lot of different pieces of care from different disciplines for free, which is one of the reasons that we're set up the way we are. So we have physical therapy as well as primary care. We have a podiatrist. We have dental. Uh, we have what we call behavioral health services, so counseling services. We have a substance use program. We have a pain management program. We have an optometrist. So those are just to name a few, some of the disciplines that we offer. So it really allows us to give this well-rounded care to our population. Clearly, you've taken over this pain management program. It was a contract group that was serving this community. And I'm curious as to how the Sacred Circle gave you the space to make it what it is today. 
Can you tell me how it is different from where it was before you took it over? So when I started working here about six years ago, there was a, a contracted group. They called themselves pain management, right? Which our typical pain management is medication, medication driven. When they left our clinic, myself and a couple other providers got together and decided that we wanted to start our own quote unquote pain management. I would like to call it pain treatment, but management is what everybody knows. But I really think we're treating pain. We're not managing pain. And Sacred Circle, bless them, really embraced that and allowed us to roll with this true biopsychosocial approach. And it's been morphing over the last few years into what it is today. And it's really, truly interdisciplinary. So having the space to create something that in other models of care isn't embraced as much, typically because of payer sources, it's hard to get reimbursed. And here we can, and it allows us to give this level of care, in my opinion, to a patient population that doesn't get that often. They're oftentimes looked at as seekers, or they've been through the ringer, I would call it, in healthcare, and they end up in a, a pain management place. And, and so, yeah, we've really embraced that interdisciplinary model. So, you know, a lot of people like to say that they embrace the interdisciplinary model, but it does seem like somehow you've captured that under one roof and have truly de-siloed it, for the lack of a better word, meaning where you're integrated within the entire team and you're collaborating with each other. Have I made that impression correctly? So you could say that a lot of providers or, or different disciplines maybe try to do this multidisciplinary where you're, you're siloed, you're within the same community, and hopefully you've built relationships with these other disciplines within your community and you can reach out and help patients and, and that sort of thing. And that's amazing. This interdisciplinary, we could even go into transdisciplinary model where we're all right here is pretty incredible and something that really becomes super passionate about and, and just drives me professionally in that I can literally speak to the primary care provider that's right upstairs of my patient or the pain provider as it is in our pain management group, also with that patient's therapist, with their counselor. And so our, our program is set up where myself, the physical therapist, and then the medical provider do an evaluation of this patient. And it's really an opportunity to provide the patient with information about what our program is and why it's developed and the way it is to provide this well-rounded care to the human that's in front of us and how we're here to help improve pain and improve function, right? It's about improving function. That's what this program is. And they're then set up with a physical therapy eval and they attend educational classes that have been developed around the idea of pain neuroscience education, as well as kind of these foundations of pain care that include learning about the importance of sleep, learning about moving your body, and I would say also moving your, your thoughts and your emotions, and then having goals and helping people achieve those goals to improve things like self-efficacy. And we meet regularly as a team, and we discuss our patients and their goals and what their struggles are and what their successes are. And we try to share goals between disciplines so that we can reiterate to the patient that we're all on the same page and we're all here to help them be successful. 
So you've truly taken the healthcare model and applied it in a way that seemingly is no longer theoretical. And you're looking at the entirety of the person. And it seems also that you're incorporating behavioral health as a portion of it. So as part of the team, do you have a behavioral health purpose? We don't have a single provider. We do have a behavioral health provider that runs the the groups with myself. So it's a PT and a, a behavioral health provider that are running the quote unquote classes. And we have anywhere from eight to 10 of them that these patients attend. In regards to the behavioral health part of this program, there has been talk of, hey, it should be a requirement. Yeah, it should. Like all of our patients need that kind of support in their lives for in honesty. However, the way we've approached it is not a requirement, but something that we let the patient build into, meaning like let's build rapport within oftentimes the PT department, to be honest with you, also with the medical provider. And then how can we educate the patient to understand the importance of engaging in that aspect of care, of behavioral health care, and how that impacts their pain and their function? And I'm, I'm finding as I'm in this program longer and I'm here with these patients that, again, we work with a population that's underserved, but also um, has a lot of trauma. And forcing something on somebody is not a way to go. It doesn't help in the long run. And when they become part of the decision-making process of engaging in that kind of care, they're much more successful. It's a pretty cool thing to see when a patient does choose to engage in that, and that becomes part of their team. And then the progress that they start to make, I would say partially because of us providers really communicating and taking action in providing the best care that we can, which in our model, at Sacred Circle, we call the circle of care. It's a truly a circle. So it's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. You, you had indicated that the, the majority of your patients have been given the runaround from previous healthcare providers before they get to you. And I imagine that that also results in a, in a certain level of trauma and a certain level of distrust for healthcare. So what I hear you saying is you really are trying to reestablish the trust before you move on with them, which I I think is a brilliant move. Um, Is there anything specific that you do or that you could relate that would help other people understand how to gain the trust individuals who've been maybe traumatized by the healthcare system, but also have endured other levels of trauma and levels of complexity with their healthcare, you know, as well as levels of dismissiveness from uh, previous uh, healthcare providers? How do you manage that? It's such an important piece of this whole program. It's a really good question. The trust thing is huge. And I would say it's really foundational in being able to provide care and also for the patient to be able to receive care. Because I think that oftentimes we forget about the really important role that they play in their own wellness. And when we think about just chronic pain, it's it's really this journey towards wellness. Like we know with pain that we're not going to get rid of somebody's pain. But if we want to help somebody be well and function within their lives, there has to be a level of trust that is built. And I would say that our current healthcare system doesn't do a good job of that. We don't listen. And that is also on this the system's fault for not giving time. I think that the patient is oftentimes not involved in the process of making decisions for their their healthcare and prioritizing for them what's important, which means that they don't achieve goals. And if we want people to have self-efficacy, especially around pain, we need them to be successful in areas of 
pain care and of their lives. And so a big part of this program is spending time with people. And honestly, physical therapy is a huge part of that, if not really the foundation of what the program is in the trust building part. They see their medical provider once a month and they see their physical therapist oftentimes to begin with once a week. And sometimes that's literally just time getting to know them and moving their bodies as we can and then providing education that's safe. Use of motivational interviewing to help patients guide a little bit and help them come to some conclusions on their own. And in the population, just to speak to the trauma portion, I would say healthcare doesn't do a super good job of being trauma informed. And when you have patients with long histories of maybe trauma within their personal lives, but also um, involvement in the healthcare system without a lot of success when we're speaking about pain. Maybe they have a history of substance use. So being empathetic to that and allowing space for that stuff. And I would say from a physical therapy standpoint, just opening your avowal with, please tell me your story wherever you'd like to begin. And you'll be surprised at how many patients are kind of shocked by that. And like, you want to hear my whole story? Like I do your whole story, wherever you feel comfortable beginning. Trust is the foundation of what this program is built on. Earlier, you mentioned that you could label the program as a pain management program and then clarify that you're really treating the pain. But what I hear you saying is you're treating the individual and pain happens to be a part of their story that coincides with levels of trauma and other psychosocial concerns, including challenges in the social determinants of health. And I also hear you saying between the lines that or you're trying to help the person find a purpose. Is that correct? Yeah, that's really what it is. That's a big foundation of wellness. Is it not like if you don't have purpose, how how do you even engage in your own quote unquote health care or well care or sick care? How do you engage in it if you don't have a reason why? And in the physical therapy world, I think we are trained to be so goal driven. Insurance guides us that way and education guides us like I got to write a smart goal. And absolutely, like we need goals. Patients need goals. And oftentimes the starting goal is to make a goal help the patient find purpose through maybe um, exploring values, making goals around what they consider to be core values for them. So yeah, it's human treatment is what it is, right? Like we're not treating a body, we're treating a human. Absolutely. Because I did hear you say um, a couple of times, there's still going to be issues of pain throughout the episode of care, which it sounds like it's sacred circle really never ends the episode of care but throughout their life, and that they learn ways to mitigate that pain by focusing on their purpose and their progress within themselves and within their homes and within society. Yeah, I've become very passionate about as a as a healthcare provider. And one of the reasons I think that I love my job so much is I have gotten rid of this model for myself and also within this PT department of discharging patients. I don't like that model. I don't understand why physical therapy is so much about get people better and they're on their way. And absolutely, there's a time and a place for that. An acute episode of care and a quote unquote higher functioning um, individual. Sure. 
And I would also argue that are they going to have an episode of pain at some point in the future? I mean, very likely that maybe they need help with. And what if they can come back to the same provider because you're like their primary care provider for pain or musculoskeletal injuries? So at Sacred Circle, because we see so much chronic pain, I don't discharge. We might probably see improvements. Uh, It takes time. And they kind of exit care or we say put on hold, you know, physical therapy care for a period of time. And some of that can be because they are doing well. Um, And some of that can be because life is happening for them and they kind of disappear for a period of time. They're always welcome to return. And when they do return, whether that be for a flare up in pain or a different episode of pain, they get to see the same therapist. And now I know them and I know their history and I know the education that I've provided. The rapport is already there. The trust is already there. And now I can really dive into the good stuff. And what I hear feedback wise within our pain program, because typically people are heavy on the PT to start with, and then we progress them to quarterly visits and we do these quarterly check-ins with them if they're doing well. And it serves as a platform and a space for them to either talk about how they're still doing well and the tools that they're using to stay well and function, or it gives them an opportunity to speak to some flare-ups that they're currently having or other episodes of pain that they're having that might be acute that we can then help and they don't become chronic. It is truly amazing when you can help somebody that has this very long-standing chronic pain. They come in with acute pain and you watch it not become a chronic thing because of this relationship that you've built and this education that they have and this foundation that's there. And then they return to life and they function again. So why we discharge people, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I like to think of that as we are the physical therapists of record. You know, like you would have a dentist or a primary care physician. And I mean, at some point, it sounds like... Like patients move on um, either because they start participating in life to a different degree or they've recovered to a certain degree um, and or just other circumstances may actually inhibit them from coming. But the door is always open for them. So, I mean, with all that being said, it sounds like the patients, when they're coming back, they're coming back at a different level and you then work on taking them to the next level. Is that correct? In certain situations, yes. And in certain situations, these patients are coming back into the clinic or out of the woodwork sometimes because of the way life has happened for them. Literally, that's probably and can potentially be caused from stress, right? We know that stress increases pain because the clinic can be a safe space and it's quiet and closed and their lives often aren't, right? They're not, it's not a closed, safe environment. And so pain flares in that environment. And if they stop coming to PT for a time, it increases. But when they come back and we can revisit that, oh, actually, like your tissue is the same as it was before. This is, this is okay. Like you're okay and you are safe within your body, even though it doesn't feel that way. And let's regain that safe. And then let's return to some of the skills that we've used that have helped, or let's put new tools in the toolbox, right? Maybe those things aren't working right now and we need new things. So they might be coming in and progressing to a different phase because they're doing well, or they might be coming in because it's a disaster and they feel like they're going right back to square one, but we can jump in and keep it from going there. And it takes not very long because some foundation is already there with you as a provider. 
And then going back to the typical physical therapy model where you go through an episode of care that may even be a little bit extended, say 20 visits over the course of three months or something like that. We, I think we all come to realize that chronic pain doesn't have a certain time frame of recovery or healing. And often we're just getting started with any of the behavioral changes and subsequent tissue changes that are required. You know, by the time we end up, say, discharging. So, and, so you're not going through that particular particular model, right? But you're getting them on a particular path. And I imagine the establishment of trust takes a certain amount of time. I guess my question now is, what is the attrition rate of some of those patients? Considering that some people might argue they don't have skin in the game because it's free hair per se. I don't, just for the record, in anything that you've said, I haven't necessarily ever thought that because I would go and I would stay loyal to a provider knowing that I was being heard and being taken care of and feeling safe, particularly when the, the world around me was not listening, dismissing me and unsafe. So I think that that is the skin in the game. A lot of times there isn't a financial investment that is being made and therefore the, there isn't a perceived skin in the game. I think the skin in the game is is the trust. That's a that's a piece of it. And there's so many layers within our model here that help to build that. It could be trust within one particular provider. For instance, we might have a patient that is brought up in the clinic that we feel to be of higher risk, if you will, for, for so many things. And it's like, man, they just bounce around. And oftentimes one of the goals that we have is can we get them in regularly with one provider to build a relationship? So it least we can start somewhere and then we can start getting them into some other areas of care. But first we got to have a, a landing spot. One of the things that we, we have here at Sacred Circle is what we call care coordination. And this has been a game changer for us providers and for our patients. And, it, and it's a trust builder within the clinic is that they we have these wonderful humans that work here under this care coordination department that help our patients with things like housing, with food insecurity, with Maslow's hierarchy of needs that sets at the, at the base. Like, how am I to help somebody with pain if they don't have a place to live? And yes, I can work on it in the clinic and that's often where I do work on it. But if I also have somebody that's invested in the ability to help them get on a housing list and check on that or help them with a electricity bill so their power doesn't get shut off, that builds trust within our whole system that we are. And at this point, being here and having the patients that I've had, right, I've got patients I've been seeing for five years and we are their family. They come in here when they have needs and we are a safe place. And that allows them to engage in their in their healthcare, and I would say that that would be true not just for chronic pain. That the, that also becomes true for mental health, which is highly undertreated in general, and also for other lifestyle conditions like diabetes and hypertension and, and some of these other things. So trust within provider, but also trust within a system. And I'm so lucky to work for a system that's small, and so we can like that's something we can do. And how are you incorporating mental health into this paradigm? Huge piece, right? And and I would say in my own way, I provide mental health treatment. I provide a ton of education. I listen. I guide. I use motivational interviewing. I provide a safe space for them to come and speak about whatever they need to speak to. And so I think all of us are responsible to be aware, right? Depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, all of that. 
and then use the relationships that we have with that patient to build enough rapport to guide them to a quote unquote counselor or behavioral health therapist. And the cool thing about working in such a small clinic is I know most of them. And so I feel like I can guide my patient to, hey, I think this person would be a really good fit for you. Right? Like I know their personalities a little bit and I, I know my patients well. And so guiding them into that kind of treatment and then collaborating with that therapist is really a game changer. I think sharing goals and both people saying similar things, but one working on body a little bit more, one working on mind a little bit more and connecting those two things for for the patient and within each other's treatments is it's what healthcare should be. Part of the introduction, I had identified that you do incorporate ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. And I imagine with some of the things that you just said now, that also includes the CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Do you yourself employ that? I would say that the acceptance and commitment therapy I do some of, yeah. And, and from a pain standpoint, it's an interesting journey to help people be okay with experiencing pain in their body when it's been such a scary thing for them to have and also has been deemed as something bad by medicine, right? How often do we hear patients or hear, hear somebody say, like, when your pain is gone, then you can go do X, Y, or Z. Well, it doesn't really work that way. And I think that from my perspective, if we can pull this in, my quote unquote behavioral health piece in my own care is this idea that we're treating the nervous system. And from a physical therapy standpoint, we think of that nervous system as like um, our neuro piece of our education, or that only happens with like strokes and progressive neurological diseases or something like that. But I kind of look at my patient care as treating a nervous system, and that includes their brain, and that includes from a pain standpoint, some of their beliefs around pain and how they connect to their body. They might not share that with me, but over the course of building a relationship and trusting each other, being able to point out to them that the life they have experienced to date is their nervous system. And that's what we're trying to calm down in therapy. And that some of that includes being able to calm down the brain as well as the body. I think we forget that this nervous system is really the connection us to our patients, but also our patient to their environment. And so it's really what we all need to have awareness of in what we're treating. And so we all should be treating the brain to some extent. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, across the entire conversation, the idea that physical therapy shouldn't get involved with mental health is beyond my ability to comprehend. And I, I think that when we're looking at populations like this, a lot of times it's going to go hand in hand, particularly when there's a challenges in the social determinants of health. Do you have specific paradigms that you utilize to help with stress management? That's a good question. I think it really depends on the person. But honestly, oftentimes going back to breath, being present where you are, mindfulness, uh, that's hard. And with the population that we have here, oftentimes just working on breath is, is challenging. I think learning also about stress is important, not only that it can be something that drives pain, but also one of the things that we do in our the stress piece of our, our educational portion of our pain management program is also talk about the upside of stress and the positive that stress is. There is a degree of stress that we need in order to move us through life. 
And then helping a patient understand when that might be going on versus when stress can become a little bit more harmful and and coping tools. Gosh, there's simple stuff like simply talking to somebody, helping them maybe engage in behavioral health, but also talking about what their social health looks like. Do you have a friend? And do we need to talk about how social health is a stress reliever? Reaching out for support and for help. Having a trusting environment to go to for support and help is a stress reliever. Laughing is a stress reliever tea cuddling and and making sure that we don't hold it all in so we don't blow up. I'm hoping to start engaging um, in some yoga classes, right? This idea that we can breathe and move our bodies. Movement as a stress reducer is huge. Potentially some mindfulness-based stress reduction classes. So I think having some more group stuff would be really beneficial. Re-engaging in group work that is positive social engagement, moving with others, breathing with others, and letting people know what it feels like to be a little calmer within their bodies. There's that whole concept that we return to what we're used to, even though it it doesn't feel good. It's what feels normal, might feel safe. So helping people feel that calmness in their body, even within a session or over the course of care, then helping them engage in, in meaningful goals and succeeding in that, I think, is also stress reducing in its own way. I also, along those lines, and I I do this with my patients as much as I can, along with the mindfulness, try to incorporate some reflection and maybe even encourage journaling. Is that something that you've looked at as well? Yeah, it is. Um, We actually have little journals that we give out to some of our um, pain patients when we bring it up and we talk about journaling a little bit. I am a big believer, as you know, in mindfulness, and I think that lends itself to a certain level of self-regulation and emotion regulation required for stress management and really for an overall better understanding of ourselves. So I think in some cases, it's an area where if people feel unsafe with something like that, there, there comes a time that you have to push through. You had mentioned self-efficacy at one point too, and I think that's a part of self-efficacy. And as as you may recall, I'm a big believer and endorser and advocate for pushing self-efficacy. It plays you know a mediating role in so many things that are required of ourselves to change and to evolve. With the challenges that I just mentioned, meaning some people might not like to sit with themselves, um, but recognizing the importance of that towards self-efficacy, and of course, recognizing the importance of allowing the patient to evolve at their own time and within their own time, how might you pull them in that direction when there is a level of resistance? Yeah, that's a good question. The resistance, right? It's, I think that in healthcare in general, we kind of meet the resistant patient with a, well, you're not compliant. Like, what is that? Not compliant. Like, why are they not compliant, right? And I by no means am trying to blame the patient at all uh, with that, which I think is what healthcare does often. They blame the patient for the poor outcomes when you know, they weren't listened to, they were dismissed, they were given brief instructions without an understanding of, of any of it at all. But there are places we want to take them and think that it's important for a lot of different reasons, including the empirical data that supports it. We are next to them in this journey, but we also want to pull them, push them along in a particular way that could be meaningful, right? 
For sure we do. And I think when it comes down to the self-efficacy part, there could be a few different avenues there, right? I think one of them that's really important is this idea. One of the things that builds self-efficacy is having success. So many of my patients have not had success in their life for so long that I think the idea of saying, hey, I really think you could go do that thing even though your back hurts or despite your back hurting. or They're like, yeah, I know. No, I can't. Like why I basically haven't succeeded in anything in so, so long I don't, right? So I think it comes down to, from a pain standpoint, understanding it. That even could be from a stress standpoint of understanding it. When we talk about sitting with something, I'm thinking of a patient right now where even going as far back as like, he's come to a point where he's guy feel like there's so much rage inside of me. It's like, man, okay. So we are getting to a point where like, can we sit with that and understand that a little bit? Because how much of your back pain is coming from rage, maybe a piece. So pushing in that direction. And I think pushing through motivational interviewing is really important because it helps, right? The whole point of motivational interviewing is that patient gets to kind of come to the conclusion themselves as well. And so it's less of this, somebody telling them what to do and more of them making discovery. And I think that's, a way that we can push people and help them again be successful like help them set goals that are meaningful and that can take time and help them achieve that and I think that's where we can be really good we can push a little bit harder continuing to follow up on that and and even getting rid of goals when they're no longer meaningful ditch a goal if it doesn't exist anymore for them and reset and so there are these areas and I think again back to trust right? When you have trust with a patient, it allows you to push so much more. I have certain patients that I've been seeing for so long and I know I can push them mentally, maybe emotionally and physically, but that's only because of the trust that I have built with them. You've certainly identified the importance of the interdisciplinary and the transdisciplinary uh, model. And certainly I have found a way to make it work uh, for uh, you, your colleagues, and the people you serve and care for. And, you know, you and I met at the Utah Pain Summit, where you extended a generous offer for me to, to talk. And of course, you provided a, a foundational lecture as well. But you spearheaded that project and got it off the ground just recently completely leading the first Utah Pain Summit that brought in interdisciplinary educators, researchers, clinicians to help educate other um, clinicians, educators, researchers. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And if I understand your situation correctly, currently you're working on next year's Utah Pain Summit? Yes, we are. <laughs> How crazy is that to <laughs> take on this? Um, event planning as a new as a new thing. So a friend of, of mine and my husband's that started the Oregon Pain Summit, which is another awesome interdisciplinary platform for learning, encouraged myself and, and my husband to go this route of starting the Utah Pain Summit. And so I think that the goal, as you said, it's, I really, it's, it's around pain, obviously, but I think that that's such a broad, such a broad word, right? Like us physical therapists were like, oh yeah, your body hurts when we talk about pain, but like, what about emotional pain? What about, you know, mental pain? What about, what about these other pains that exist and how that connects us? And so I think the goal around it is really gathering many disciplines, as many as we can, really, I don't want it to just be physical therapists. I want medical providers. I want 
behavioral health providers. When it comes to pain, I think that we all can benefit from learning from each other. Um, I think we can all, if, as I said earlier, that we understand that we're all treating a nervous system to some degree, that's in every interaction that you have with a patient through your words, through your body language, through your treatment, through your hands. And when we can learn from each other, I think it allows us to hopefully shift healthcare a little bit. Even if you don't have a model that exists here for me, you do have the ability to connect with these other disciplines and learn from each other. And maybe through this kind of platform, you make relationships that that results in referrals, right? To providers that you know, make connections within your community, but also learning these different aspects of how we care for people how we care for humans, not just how we care for bodies and how we care for minds, but how we care for humans, I think is how we shift healthcare a little bit. And it's hard. That's a hard thing to embrace. I'm in a place where everybody's under under one roof. And I will say that it's still hard. As we grow as a company, it becomes harder to stay connected. Like it's a very deliberate thing that has to happen here. When you're not all under one roof, you have to make a very conscious effort. And I hope the Utah Pains Summit helps people do that, helps people build connections within the healthcare community, but also, I don't know, helps us understand how important it is that we all work together and that we all, to some degree, step on each other's toes a little bit and talk about these other pieces of a patient's, of a human's healthcare that's sitting in front of you and encourage them. So that's kind of the goal behind the whole venture. I know it was a success, personally speaking. I got a lot out of it from listening to the other speakers. And it was probably one of the best conferences that I had ever gone to. I thought it was a great experience. Um, And I thank you for that and wish you the the best with the, the ones in the future. With all that being said, do you have anything that you'd like to share with the audience? as we talk about helping people, making sure that we help ourselves and how this journey through helping people that suffer from chronic health issues like pain or other things that we can practice these skills ourselves. And we are in a lot of ways, just like our patients, we need to prevent burnout if we want to help people. And so I think even doing like looking to educational resources that help you is something that actually can help your patients, right? Absolutely. We have to walk the walk. We do have to walk the walk and that's hard. And I would say that it's as I've journeyed myself through learning more about chronic pain, it's really taken me on a personal journey that I think has made me a better provider, Um, not just because of the education that I got for to help the people, but also how that stuff has helped me in my own life. Um, And I think that helps healthcare. Well said. Well, thank you very much, Lindsay. I've appreciated the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Always a pleasure. This has been a production of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. You can learn more about the Academy by visiting our website at aaompt.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for our acronym, AAOMPT.
The views and opinions expressed on the AOPT podcast are those of the interviewers and interviewees and do not represent the official position of AOPT. The information presented should not be used as personal health care or clinical practice advice. If you need to find an expert orthopedic physical therapist near you, then check out the Find a Fellow feature under the Public Resources tab at www.aaompt.org, which you can find in the show notes.